Hi, this is Jason. Welcome to this podcast of Bethesda Worship Center's Adult Bible Study. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale in his series on living above the fray. So here we are again, week number five of the fray, living above the fray. Um, I hope that this this is going to be our last one. I was uh, wrestling all week on whether to go further or whether to start something new. And uh, I think we just want to put a bow on this one tonight. Um, I think we've given a lot of meat for you to chew on. And a lot of the weeks we kind of ran out of time more than we did excitement. Or we ran out of time before we got done discussing. So I want to try to leave a little time uh, to discuss at the end tonight. But I don't know how much to recap. Um, the fray is the junk that happens in your life. It's the stuff that's very demanding. Um, there are things... I'm just going to begin to review. There are things we talked about you in the first week that you need to take immediate action on. There's things that's going on in your life that's not okay. It's not as if you're an evil person, but there are things you are allowing to happen in your life that's not okay. There's things that we need to take immediate action on. We likened it to a person that needs insulin. It's not something they need to get to one of these moments. They need an insulin shot right now because their blood sugar is bottomed and it can be very dangerous. There are things in your life that you need to give immediate attention to because you're bleeding out. And um, it's, it's costing you a lot. It's costing you your energy. Um, we talked about being overwhelmed. If there's, if there's a commonality among Christians that I talk to, that feeling of being overwhelmed is prevalent right now in uh, good churches. Good people, strong, mature people, feel overwhelmed. Um, the Bible says that in the end days, the, the enemy will try to weary the saints. And there's a lot of weariness, and there's a lot of things that are overwhelming. I know I spent some time with a couple other pastors today, and believe me, we're not alone. There are people that are just burnt out. There are people that are tired of living. Um, there's people that tired of the same drama. And that's why we started talking about living above the fray. Um, Isaiah 26.3 says that He'll keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because you trust in thee. Don't expect to have peace in your life if you let your mind wander all over the place. I've said these things. Most of you may have recalled these, but... Don't think you're going to have peace because you're a good person. Don't think you're going to have peace because you're saved. Don't think you're going to have peace because you're on your way to heaven. It's not so. Peace, we talked about, is a production from the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you. We talked about the good thing about peace is we can't mess it up because we can't manufacture it. We, we want people to think that we're producing peace, but we, we've never produced peace. We're human. We can't. Um, how you feel and what you think has to be challenged. I don't care how comfortable you are in your belief system. I don't care how many years you've done it this way. It's time to check yourself again. 
It's time to say, has God moved on and I'm still in my same methodology? Has God set up bigger things and I'm still in my pea brain mentality? I know that God has sometimes said, come on, Pat, come on, Pat. And I'm still, hey, i got this mode of operation I'm comfortable with. And God's like, look, let me stretch you. Let me stretch you. And um, you've got to challenge what you think. You've got to challenge what you feel. Um, most people are running on empty. We talked about that. Um, Jesus is so he cares about how you feel he cares about you trying to live a good christian life and still condemning yourself he cares about the times you blow it and you beat yourself up that's why in matthew chapter 11 he says take my yoke upon you and learn of me for i am meek and lonely in heart and you'll find rest for your soul you'll find rest but you have to learn of me that means you have to sit at my feet that means you've got to take us. You got to have a place in your life for me, not just a little place, not a backup role, not waiting in the wings, Jesus, not spare tire, Jesus. But if you learn of me, I'll give you peace. Um, we talked about the spirit of heaviness, and there's people that are so heavy inside, and um, we got used to feeling heavy. We got used to this feeling of weight upon our spirit, weight upon our mind, weight on our emotions, and, and we got familiar with it. Second Corinthians two eleven says that lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Um I think I told you last week that you need to really start identifying the patterns in your life if you want to live above the fray. Better start identifying the patterns in your life. We talked about containment. Remember I had a little tackle box and every little lure had their place in that tackle box. You need to learn to contain things in your life. Don't let your work life bleed into your home life. Don't let your spiritual life or the lack thereof be taken out on your children. Contain. Isolate. Keep them apart. You've got to have spaces in your life. The problem is, when they bleed together, you get that overwhelmed feeling that the psalmist David talked about. So, keep things isolated. Whatever you have to do, keep things contained. Um, watch your I am statements. I am tired. I am mad. I am angry. You're none of those things. You feel those things. You are not those things. We talked about watching your I am statements because life and death is in your tongue and, and you can declare things, so be careful. Um, man, we're going way back here and I want to get to where I want to go because I want to leave room. I'm doing this so you'll be thinking because I want, I want you all to share tonight. I'm not going to try to hog the time unless Holy Spirit makes me. I don't <laughs> um, I also thought it was kind of cool to realize that the Bible shows us that God teaches us things systematically. How does He teach us things systematically? He goes from milk to meat. He goes from line to line, from precept to precept. He goes, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. He teaches us things systematically. So in order for you to correct things in your life, more than likely, outside of a miracle, you're going to have to systematically go through your life and start cleaning house. 
Um, I know sometimes if you let your house go and you don't stay up on it, it's overwhelming and you don't clean house. But there's a theory I have, doesn't mean I use it, but there's a theory I have that if we just pick up a little bit or if we focus, hey, today we're going to take care of this room and the next night we're going to take care of this room. Because if we don't, we're going to have a nasty house. And nobody likes to visit a nasty house. And and some people are like that. And uh, we all have our moments. But (laughs) watch your I am statements. Watch, um, and you've got to do things systematically. We said that you'll be affected by what happens in your life, but it should never control the pursuit of your purpose. I would be an idiot to tell you, don't let anything bother you. Because I'd have to remove your heart. I'd have to remove your mind to tell you that. Um, There are people that you think don't feel because they're boneheads. There are people that you think are just cold-hearted, walking robots, but they feel. They just hide it better than you. They overcompensate. Um, We've got to be careful about being so invested about the events in our life. Quit taking your life so stinking serious. What would happen? What would happen if you disappeared for a day or two? You know what would happen? This world would go on without you. It was here thousands of years before you, and it doesn't. You're not. You're. You're not the hinge on which the world swings. Sorry to bust your ego, but that's the reality. You think nobody can do it as well as you. You think the place is going to go to pot if you're not here. Sorry, it'll. It'll function just fine. Quit taking your life so serious. Then we gave you the peace message. The the, the recipe for peace found in Philippians chapter 4. And um, to recap it, it says, Don't worry about one thing. Pray about it. God's peace will guard you. And think about the good things in your life. If you do those things, as Paul outlined to the Visions Church, you're going to have peace. Whether you want it or not, you're going to get peace. So, uh, I'm only doing this so I'll spark some thoughts. I know you didn't have time to share all these weeks. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are things that are rare to find in people today. They're theories that we teach. They're things that... We mentally ascend to. There's things that we, man, I can grab a hold of that, but I don't see a whole lot of it in the church world today. And uh, then last week we brought out the ladder. Uh, the ladder was, uh, I heard a lot of conversation about the ladder. The things, the way you interpret things into your life. Everything that happens to you comes, first of all, through your perception. Then the next step is you have a reaction to what you've just perceived. And then you have a behavior based upon your reaction. And then the bad one is the sowing and the reaping. Um, we don't have time to go into all that. In between each step there was triggers. And whatever you, whenever you can identify the trigger, the thing that makes you go from thinking about something to doing something, those are the triggers in your life. When you can identify those, you'll find your weaknesses. Because your carnality wants you to spiral downward. The Spirit of God wants to lift you up. So, we talked about that last week. 
So now let's go to Romans chapter 8. It's a, it's a chapter you need to read from front to back about 300 times and you still won't get it all. So who am I to try to do any justice to it? But we're going to give her a whirl. Romans chapter 8. Um, there's so much here that we need a series on it. So what I want to do is just pick up on verse 26. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 26. Romans 8, 26. Three verses. It won't hurt you to look at it with your eyeballs. It'll help you. Um, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the one that everybody talks about when life's crazy. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I don't know that it's completely fair to take these three verses and penknife them out because there's so much building into them and there's so much meat after them as well. But I really don't want to get into predestination tonight. And I, and I uh, really don't want to get into the deep things of the Spirit so much because we're talking about living above the fray of life. Um, verse 28, we know that all things work together. You know it, you've memorized it. I don't know that we always believe it. But it has to become an anthem verse for us. It has to become an anthem for you. It has to become an anthem for me in the last days. Because if I don't believe this verse, I'm in trouble. Because God didn't do what I told God to do. And it don't make sense because the Bible says He's not a respecter of person, but yet He blesses Brother Jones and Brother Smith's on food stamps. He's not a respecter of persons. But he healed Mary, Betty died. He's not a respecter of persons, and they're happily married, and I wish we could get a divorce. When things don't make sense, we go to Romans 8.28, and we know. The word know there means to see. So, for us to really verbalize that, you might have to meditate on it a little bit. Because sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes we don't see it. In fact, most of the time we don't see it. When God's not doing what we tell Him to. There has to be a verse that we wrap around our frustrations. I don't know. Y'all, y'all like a, a good steak wrapped in bacon. <laughs> oh man, I love that. Meat on meat, man. That it only gets. That only makes things good, right? Or if you if you're a if you win. Miss Universe, you have a sachet that goes over over your shoulder, and and it identifies you. And this has to be a verse that we wrap around our frustrations. This has to be a verse that we wrap around our questions, and it has to be something that that we have to look at. The thing about verse twenty eight is it doesn't always seem real contemporary. What do I mean by that? When you read it and you're going through junk, you're like, whatever, dude. I don't care what it says. I know what I see. So sometimes it's hard to relate to this verse right now. 
So you have to look at verse 28 as the entire length of this journey you're on this planet. Because what's happening to you right now, it ain't working for your good sometimes. In fact, right now, this mess is killing me. It's, it's, it's making me lose my faith. It's making me lose my joy. It's making me lose my faith. You tell me, Pastor Pat, how this is working for my good. When you read this verse, you have to take it in the entirety context of your lifetime. And guess what? Not only yours, but everyone looking at your lifetime. There are things that I have no explanation for. I heard a great teacher that I really have a lot of respect for say, be careful around somebody that has too many answers. Be careful. Because they'll tell you what sounds good. But more than likely, they're not living it themselves. Um, Any minister that tells you, well... This is the reason, this is the reason, this is the reason, and you can't seem to get them in a gray area, and you can't seem to pin them down on anything because they're so defensive about the Word of God, like God needs defended. Look at verse 28 and say, man, I might be here for another 5 years, 10 years, 50 years. I don't know. I hope we're out of here. I hope I'm fishing in heaven 5 years from now. I wouldn't mind if it happened tomorrow, to be honest with you, but, but here we are. <laughs> and all the junk that we're going through... Is working for our good. Now listen, it's not going to work for the good just because you want it to work for the good. It's going to work for the good if you if you look at that verse um, to those who love God. Man, everybody says they love God. What is the Bible verse that says? Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. Don't just don't just give lip service. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, didn't he? There's always going to be, they'll know you by your love. There's always going to be an expression of what's happening on the inside. So we're not going to get into works versus grace right there, but I just I want you to understand that it's going to work for you. This stuff, this fray, this drama, it's going to work for you if you love God. If you're called, and you are, nobody's accidentally born. At the hospital, the day you were born, you did not shock God. He knew about you before your mama and your daddy got together. He had a plan. And if you read the rest of chapter 8, you can go into a lot of cool thoughts there. And and we're not going to get into those. But He knew you. You know what? He knows you so much. He knows you better than yourself. I, I know. I know. Gina has, you know, after twenty three years of marriage, she can pretty much predict how I'm going to react in this and how I'm going to do this and what this is going to happen because we've been together since we were kids. And um, as well as I think I know myself, sometimes she'll be like, "Yeah, I knew. I knew that's how you'd react. I knew that's what. I knew that's how you'd think. I knew that's how you'd feel about it." And I'm the same way. But now. Imagine if she created me. <laughs> she just knows me. She picked me up about 18 years old. You know, she knew me from there on. So, <laughs> there's going to be things in your life you'll never consciously understand. And, and we're wasting a lot of time. I'm just going to be straight with you. We're wasting a lot of time always seeking answers. Because behind every answer... There's a yeah, but. 
for, for, for months after months and weeks after weeks after weeks, when my son died, I was like, I'm going to find the answer. If all things work together, I remember that verse. How in God's name is it working for my good? There's going to be parts of it that you'll never fully understand. And if you pursue answers, I want you to know, and please don't think I'm belittling you because I've done the same thing. If, you, if you're not satisfied till you get an answer, you're not operating in faith. We want answers. God wants faith. And, and what this verse does is it pushes us to a, a thing called trust. And the way I define trust is believing in a God I don't always understand. Because there's so much drama going on around my life. Some of it you control. Some of it you started. Some of those little forest fires, you was out playing with the matches. You got it all stirred up. There are some people in your life that I call spoons. And their job is to stir stuff up. And if I see a spoon, I usually stay away from a spoon. Because I know they're going to stink. They're going to stir a stink wherever they go. You know people like that? And you can say, I have no idea what in the world is going on right now. But here's the, here's the thing you have to land on. And I wish I could say, this is why. But nobody can. You have to come to the conclusion. After all your wondering, after all your doubts, after all your faith crisis. And if you haven't had a faith crisis, you haven't lived long. If you haven't thought about giving up on this whole Jesus business, you haven't been hit hard enough yet. <laughs> If you haven't said, is this all just brainwashing? Is this all just a preconceived notion that started? Now we're generated generations in and, and it's just, it seems right. Or is there really a God? Does he still answer? If you've not had a faith crisis, you don't know anything about trust yet. Um, you don't know what's going on. You have to come to the conclusion though. For what my little pea brain can digest, I began to understand, I know the character of my God. Of course, His ways are higher than mine. He does stuff I would never do. He thinks thoughts I could never think. And I know He's much higher than I. He's a creator, I'm the creation. But I have to believe in the character that I see. In the Old Testament, through God, and through New Testament, Jesus, His Son. And the other thing you have to come to the conclusion is, I know He's love. Love is not something He does. Love is not a characteristic. It's His definition. God is love. It doesn't say God loves, and that's it. It says God is he is love. He's the definition of love. That's why you can never fully understand love until you're down with Jesus, right? So here's here's what we've got to under we've got to begin to understand. We've got to manage the swings in our life. You guys know that on Tuesday you're ready to go hunting the devil with a switch, and on Wednesday you're thinking, I don't know about this God business. I mean, I know, okay, those are drastic polar opposites, right? But you've been there. And sometimes it happens. One week you're on fire. This, the next week you're not real sure. By the third week you're like, this is a mess. Why? Why? Nobody else cares. I had to check myself there. Nobody else cares. <laughs> Why do I care? Why do I try? The idiot that's living like hell, the idiot that's, that's promiscuous, they got money I don't have. 
I'm stressed out, broke. They're rolling large and they living bad. Um, why, why did why did this heathens thing go into remission? But my sister is going into stage four. Tell me. And what we have is this massive swing. And we can get into a bunch of psychological jargon. And I don't want to do that. But there's, there's a part of you, the carnality we talked about, wants to swing. It never wants you to be settled. It never wants you to be firm foundation. It wants you to always be oscillating back and forth. Back and forth. When I was a kid, I don't know if they still have it or not, one of the museums that may have been in Indianapolis, they have this great big pendulum, and it swings, and they have little pegs set up, and it's hundreds of feet high. That's the way I remember it. And it's it's bigger than this entire sanctuary, and that thing just swings. And over time, it starts knocking a little pin over. And And that's a great picture of our emotional state of mind. That's a great picture of our mindset sometimes. Hey, and the thing is, this is solid, mature Christians. See, preachers would have you believe that once you you get serious with Jesus, you settle down, you never have off days, and and you you have pure thoughts. You never want to hurt anybody. You, you never want to cuss anybody out. I, maybe I miss some classes because I fight those things. I don't know. And when I would feel those things, I would be so condemned because I would get right into that drama. Um, we've got to manage our swings. You ever had this? You ever been feeling really funky, and you say a Bible verse, and it don't change squat? I, maybe I'm too real. I don't know that I can preach this everywhere. But there's been times when things start going sideways, and I pull out some of my memory verses. And now I'm sideways with a memory verse. And for some reason, it don't come across like Pastor said it on Sunday when he was sweating and there was 200 people amen. And it just didn't have the same effect because I'm in the same funky place and I'm saying the same words. There's times when your knowledge won't help you. There's times when your memorization doesn't seem to help you. There's going to be times when you say the right things and you feel the wrong things. Um, that doesn't mean you should stop saying the right the things. Don't get me wrong. I just I just wanted to do a real check. There are times here's this has to be a flag. There's times when your drama is more real to you than your God. There are times when I can convince you about my junk more than I can convince you about my God. There are days. There are other days I'm spiritual, I'm on top. And I'm ready to share Jesus, I'm ready to share hope, I'm ready to share faith. And other days, I want to tell you about my crap. And it depends on the day I'm having. And that has to be... When your drama is more real than your God, that should sound every alarm in your spirit. That should throw every flag. There should be buzzers going off in your spirit, man. Because why we're not minimizing the stuff that happens to you. Why we're not minimizing your hurt and your pain and your aggravations. And Your God is greater than what you feel, what you sense. 
Your God is greater than your senses. But if you had to really put your under oath today, what's more real to you? There are days when you say, man, I know somewhere deep God's there, but right now this is more real to me. And, of course, churchy people will never do that. But people that have a relationship with God that are still stuck in their humanity that Romans 7 puts so eloquently, there's things I want to do and I don't stink and do them. And the things I say I'm not going to do, that's the junk I end up doing. I love Romans 7. If you have an inner struggle, read Romans 7. And you'll find the man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament fought the same junk. This pillar, this architect of the New Testament church dealt with the same stuff where the old man rises up and says, I know what you know, but this is my reality. And your phrase speaks louder than your God. Um, That's the time. The bad thing is, is the timing of it all. Because we sit in this pocket of our perceived reality and we have these feelings and what it, what it makes us, you know, those reactions and those behaviors that go along with the perceptions, the stuff that we talked about on the ladder. All we know is how we feel. Do you know that for most people, how they feel is more real to them than what they know? Like I said, I'll use Gene and I. We've been married 23 years. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the bad guy. There have been times in 23 years where I was the bonehead of the day. Where I was just a complete jerk. And uh, especially early on in marriage, we would fight to the death. I mean, you know, if, if words were punches, both of us would be in the ER. Um, but you know what? Something she knows... As ugly as my words got, she knew my heart. And she knew somewhere when Pat takes his jerk mask off, there's a good guy in there. And that was enough to sustain her from hitting the road. Fast forward to your drama right now. There's times when your drama is more real to you. It affects you more than God. It affects me more than God. This this feeling, this junk, it changes my words. It changes my my moods. It, it, It owns me. And the thing is, it doesn't change God at all. He's not worried about it. But yet, it changes us. When your fray begins to change you, in your most unspiritual state, <laughs> God done convicted me this week, and and this is the end of this is this is the the gist of it. I play guitar. I'm on the praise band. I lead in praise and worship. I'm, I'm psalmist, whatever, whatever I do up there. And pretty much for 16 years without a break. And a lot of those was multi-services. Think about the revivals and the conferences. And if there's a music being played, I'm up there. If there's a song being sung, I'm singing. Love worship. Love it. 
But those of you who are leaders, there's going to be times when you are performing a work and you're not getting a whole lot of gratification out of it because you're in front instead of experiencing. Those of you who work with Christian education, there's times when you're teaching those brats and you tell them for the hundredth time to sit down and there's people back here getting just eating steak from pastor's word. I mean, you know, from the word of God, they're just eating meat. And you're sitting up there and you're like, man, this does not feel rewarding at all. God checked me. He's like, oh yeah, you're all about praise and worship. You're a participant. You better get back to receiving. You better start amping up your worship time. You better start... For me, I have to put on some music and I've got to receive instead of being the player, instead of being the singer, instead of looking at the notes, instead of looking about the chord changes. You see, when when you sing a song, you just sing it. I'm thinking about the next chord I have to play. I'm thinking about where's the lead part, where's the tenor part. And I've done it for years and years and years and and I, I can't even imagine what pastor has to... Because... When you're put in the position of service, it's not always real rewarding at that moment. But when you look out here and you see people crying, small price to pay. Be careful in your acts of service that you don't abandon receiving. So, for me, this week, I had to get back to worship school. It's not as if I totally abandoned it, but there was not enough of it. Started hitting that dry spell in my worship time. So... As the fray in your life increases, this is what happens. When somebody's mean to you, you rear back. (laughs) When that stupid phone call comes and that bill comes and that idiot calls, you know your first instinct is to rear back and get your shots in, right? Because you don't want to look like the weakling. You don't want to look like, you you know, I'm nobody's carpet man. Nobody's going to walk on me. I'm going to take my shots at you. You ready to go, big boy? Let's, let's, Let's throw down. And we've been trying to fight back and get our shots in. And believe me, doesn't it just feel good? Doesn't it feel good to hit somebody once in a while, even if it's verbally? Doesn't it feel good like, sit on that for a minute, man. Just I want you to think about what I just... A good zinger is so satisfying to your flesh. Like, man, I nailed them on that. They sat there with their mouth open after I told them that. It feels so good to our flesh. But in reality, when the drama increases... It goes against everything in your second nature. It goes against everything. When your drama gets bigger, that's when you have to get minimal. When you're ready to throw up your hands and say, let's go, let's dance. I'll meet you in the alley. John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Because that's the reason you're tired. That's the reason we fight. We fight life. Instead of living a fulfilled one. When you want to fight the things that are happening to you. That should be our flag. It goes against everything you know and everything that feels right. To get little. Don't rear your back. Don't put out your chest. I'm not suggesting you allow people to walk on you. I believe you teach people how to treat you. There's a balance in this. But at the same time, your instinct is to just go full on if somebody somebody wants to mess with you, right? Um, well, I hope, that, I hope that we're better off for having learned a few things about living above the fray. Um, you may not be where you want to be, guys. You may not be there. But you have made progress. And 
I know you still have days you don't feel overly spiritual, but you're walking in the right direction. These kind of studies are so tool-oriented, and there's Bible verses all through them. I hope that nobody ever tells me I don't teach the Bible because I would have to call them a bold-faced liar and enjoy saying that to them. But sometimes you have to get real and you have to get the nuts and the bolts out of your life. And you've got to begin to say, how do I walk? Quit telling me I need to be right. Tell me how to be right. And, and I hope that, that we've done some of that. Um, take time to celebrate the small victories in your life. If you do something right that you used to drop the ball on all the time, enjoy that. Celebrate that. Because what happens is it gets, it gets your mojo started. Hey, I did that right. Maybe I can do this right. Celebrate this. This is what the devil... The devil wants you to diminish every victory. Because if... He can say, yeah, that was no big deal. Wait till the big things come. No, celebrate the small victories. Because when you start stringing them together, you start putting together a life. I told Pastor this week that as much as I... I really try to study the Word of God, as much as I study life, as much as I study human behavior... And of all the things that I'm unsure of, there's two things that I'm sure of. If you boiled it all down, this whole religion, this whole relationship, this whole Jesus business, there's a lot I don't know. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. But I do know that God is good. And I know that I can hide in His peace. I don't know everything. And when I'm 150 years old, I'm not going to know anything. Um, there's going to be days I always talk about hiding under the shelter of his wing there's going to be days when you feel like you've hidden more than you've made progression don't be afraid to hide don't be afraid to hide it takes a real man to hide I know that goes against everything we've been instructed realize You can't do it. You fight the fray, go ahead. Let me know how it works. Fight every injustice that comes against you. Let's talk about your energy. Let's talk about your your morale. Let's talk about your emotions. If you want to fight everything, you can. But you better learn how to hide. Because when you hide... You see, hiding in His peace isn't a concept. It's it's a position you place yourself. And I believe the only place you can really do that is during a worshipful time. Um, Psalms 91, chapter 4. I love chapter 91. It's, It's worth reading. He'll cover you with His feathers. And under His wings... Shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. My question is, can you trust while you're hiding? Can you trust while you're hiding? I believe it's the best place to develop your trust. Because when you're hiding, He's your shield. Not you, not your smarts, not your intelligence, not your Bible verses. When you're hiding, He's your buckler. He's your shield. He's that strength that surrounds you. I think that's the place where you get your trust is when you hide. So we better learn to hide.
And there's going to be times when you're going to get your strength and you're going to step back out and you're going to be able to go and fight, but you better learn to hide. There's times you're going to miss it. There's times you're lukewarm. I know you are, because I am. I'm no different than you. There's times when you're on fire and there's times when you just feel like, whatever. But I want you to hear the heart of Jesus in Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. He's dealing with a church that, that's not on fire anymore. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. I want you to hear the heart of Jesus. These are these, This is a church, this is a, a, a group of people that have let the best things get away. They've, they've, they've kind of got sideways. They're not on fire for God no more. But yet, He still pleads. He knocks at their door. I want you to hear the heart of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 23, He says, O Jerusalem, which we could say children of God, how often I want to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you're not willing. I want you to hear the heart of God saying, Look, I want to hang out with you. I want to protect you. But you're not having it. You're fighting the fray. Go ahead. Go ahead, but I'm going to keep knocking. Go ahead, but I would love to gather you like a chicken does her little chicks. I would love to be that God for you, but you're fighting the fray. You see, when life is begging you to fight, when drama is screaming at you to expend all your energy, the fray will always ask you the question, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? And you sit at home and you think. You're driving down the road and you're thinking, what am I going to do about this? You're trying to go to bed. You're thinking, what am I going to do about that? That's the question the fray asks you. What are you going to do now? And if you start answering that question, you're going to see everything on the inside of you, all of your resources, you're going to see them start emptying out because you're pursuing what to do. And God says, I can be your fortress. I can be the place you hide. In fact, a lot of times when we try to handle, and there's things you have to handle, there's things you got to face off with, but most of the stuff that takes our energy is the stuff that won't matter. In fact, we usually make worse. So, we got to go back to our recipe of peace. Don't you worry about one thing. Pray about it, and God's peace will protect you. And start thinking about the good things in your life. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. For more information on BWC, check us out on the web at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com. You might also choose to join us either for Sunday service or Wednesday evening Bible study.